In South Florida, only the sun is hotter. It's the Joyce Kaufman Show now. 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 On News Talk 850 WFTL. Leaves a daughter and a son Be a lover to their mother Everything to everyone Up and at them bright and early I'm all business in my suit Yeah, I'm dressed up for success From my head down to my boots I don't do it for the money There's bills that I can't pay I don't do it for the glory I just do it anyway Providing for our futures My responsibility Yeah, I'm real good on the pressure Being all that I can be I can't call in sick on Mondays When the weekend's been too strong I just work straight through the holidays Sometimes all night long You can bet that I stand ready when the wolf growls at the door Hey, I'm solid, hey, I'm steady Hey, I'm true down to the core And I will always do my duty No matter what the price I've counted up the cost I know the sacrifice Oh, and I don't want to die for you But if dying's asking me I'll bear that cross with honor Cause freedom don't come free I'm an American soldier An American Beside my brothers and my sisters I will proudly take a stand When liberty's in jeopardy I will always do what's right I'm out here on the front lines Sleeping peace nights American soldier Unfortunately, we do have names that we need to add to the list. The Department of Defense announced the death of two soldiers who were supporting Operation Freedom Sentinel. Both soldiers died on June 25th in the Unzagan province of Afghanistan as a result of wounds sustained from small arms fire while engaged in combat operations. And the incident is under investigation. The deceased are Master Sergeant Michael B. Riley, age 32, of Heilbronn, Germany. He was assigned to the 2nd Battalion, 10th Special Forces out of uh, Fort Carson, Colorado, that's the Airborne. Uh, also lost were Sergeant James G. Johnston, age 24, of Trumansburg, New York. Johnston was assigned to the 79th Ordnance Battalion, the Explosive Ordnance Disposal, out of the 71st Ordnance Group out of Fort Hood, Texas. Um, so we unfortunately add the names of those soldiers to those that have literally given their all for the protection of not just uh, American citizens, but for the protection of people in Afghanistan, of people throughout the Middle East. And sometimes I think when I watch the insanity that I had an opportunity to watch Wednesday and last night, um, where you have politicians 
being politicians, um, it makes me sad because they are detached and removed from so much of what the American experience is. is. And uh, with the exception of uh, Tulsi Gabbard, um, out of 22 uh, people vying, or 24, I don't even know what the final number is, vying for the nomination on the Democrat side, um, we don't really have anyone there who has firsthand knowledge of what these confrontations in the Middle East um, have cost the American people. As a, as a female soldier who has spent 17 years in the military and fought in uh, combat theaters, uh, she has an, an ability to talk about those things. And while I don't agree with her quite often, um, I think she is fundamentally um, more of an isolationist than I am, and and that's okay. You know, that's from her. It's a legitimate argument. She knows what she's talking about. On the other hand, I don't think she understands the geopolitical um, importance of the military and how it is used. But that's uh, that's a whole other subject for another day and I, and I think we need to um, really look at the fact that we have so few members of Congress who have actually served and the ones that we do have the Congressman Brian Mast and the Congressman Dan Crenshaws and uh, and a variety of others uh, Tom Cotton in the Senate you see a difference in the way they are able to discuss uh, foreign relations and certainly the idea of, of how many interventions any country, particularly a country like ours, should be involved in and what should be our um, MO. And a and, uh, listener had sent me an awesome, just a, a brief email, my, my good friend uh, Tony, where he had said that when the president was approached, I think it was when he landed in Japan on Wednesday afternoon, our time he was asked by one of the reporters you know what his exit strategy in iran would be and tony said uh, he was actually writing the the note to the president and copying me on it and he said uh, president your exit strategy should be we win they lose it's been far too long since that has been the exit strategy of the United States. So I, uh, I applaud the efforts last night to, uh, to stand up for what this, this party now seems to believe in. Um, it is a race to the left. It is a race to almost an unforgivable um, disparaging of the great American experience. Uh, apparently none of them find America particularly good or or even uh, getting better. They just don't. And obviously uh, I will add my voice to the chorus of people out there who say that there was really only one clear winner last night um, or Wednesday night in these debates and that was uh, Donald Trump. However, with that being said, I think on Wednesday, Julian Castro emerged as a viable candidate. And there is no question in my mind that uh, Joe Biden is done. Stick a fork in him. It's over. Uh, Bernie Sanders, for the most part, is done. Stick a fork in him. 
And uh, we're looking at Kamala Harris, Elizabeth Warren, Julian Castro, and I guess to some extent, uh, you know, Peter Buttigieg, who was extremely well-spoken last night. He's a very well-educated man. Of course, uh, I took umbrage with some of the things he had to say, and I was personally outraged by the attack that Kamala Harris launched against uh, Joe Biden, who I have zero affection for. But I think it was a classic example of uh, what prosecutors do best. You know, prosecutors have to tell a story which convinces a magistrate, a judge, or a jury that their client, um, you know, that the, that the person they're prosecuting, not their client, that the the adversary um, is so bad that you you must take a position against them. And she prosecuted Joe Biden big time last night, and she did it so skillfully um, that I really would go go on the on the record today. I'm I'm going on the record today that from what I could see in the last two nights, the largest threat. To President Trump, and I don't think it's large enough for uh, anybody to get too ex- excited yet, would be a debate stage with Kamala Harris, because she is a, a phenomenal storyteller, which is very important. Uh, she is sympathetic in a way that uh, I'd never really seen her until last night. I mean, I've seen her be the aggressive prosecutor in co- in uh, committee hearings in the Senate where she was relentless against Brett Kavanaugh and against, uh, you know, the the various other Russian collusion characters uh, that came that way. But to watch her last night dissemble Joe Biden, who was the front runner, and make herself so sympathetic um, gives me a, a, you know, a momentary anxiety about how would Donald Trump be able to deal with this kind of opponent. First and foremost, the fact that she is a strong female um, is is definitely uh, a problem for Donald Trump. Donald Trump likes strong, bright women, uh, but he likes them to stand and walk alongside of him. They can't lead him. you know. So that's going to be some... That causes me some concern. You know, a debate between Donald Trump and Kamala Harris um, would be anybody's guess. I, I mean, she may very well um, be able to win a debate with Donald Trump. Uh, Hillary Clinton, I never had a concern about because she's just not sympathetic. You know, she's a strong woman. Um, she she knew a lot. She was well spoken. But she wasn't sympathetic. And, and, you know, it always comes down to in the final days, everybody says, who, who would you rather have a beer with, right? Would you rather have a beer with, uh, you know, Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump? And we all know what the answer to that was. And really, um, for the first time, look, I don't want to have a beer with any of them. You know, first and foremost, I don't drink beer. And second, I just don't want to hang out with any of them. They make me sick to my stomach, all of them on both sides of the aisle. But if I were... You know, I'll be right up front with you. If I were going out to dinner with uh, somebody who is currently a contender, I'd probably pick Kamala Harris. You know, not because uh, I agree with anything that she says, I don't, but because at least I find her um, sincere, 
if she's faking it, she's doing a hell of a job. But prosecutors are actors and actresses, so it wouldn't surprise me that she was, uh, you know, able to fake it. But she would be entertaining, you know. And if I go out to dinner with somebody, I got to get entertained. I spend all my life entertaining you all. When I go out to dinner, I want to be entertained. That's why I go out with like Ann Coulter. I go out with people who I find entertaining so I don't have to do all the talking, you know. And uh, I think Kamala Harris would be a very entertaining person. We'd probably get into fisticuffs, though, because, you know, her p positions are, are absolutely ludicrous. And the idea that um, I'm supposed to believe that somehow this uh, biracial girl took all the weight of busing in California on her shoulders was a little far-fetched. But nonetheless, you know, it was a good story and she told it well. Stay right where you are. We're going to take a break. We've got a lot going on today. We've got a number of people that I will be talking with. They're not primarily about the debate, actually. I'll be talking with Dan Cadman from the Center for Immigration Studies about uh, John Sanders' resignation. I'm going to be talking with Mary Claire Anselm from Heritage about this uh, concept that they were pushing last night of student loan cancellation, and uh, and we'll just uh, we're going to have a good time today. A good time because I'm in a good mood and because it's Friday, and Friday is always good, and a really good time because Sharina's in here with me producing the show, and after Kamala's performance last night, we're talking girl pop. And we are trying to uh, get James O'Keefe on the uh, show next week because this is an outrage, what's going on. And trust me, this is really got to be, there has to be some kind of intervention in this censorship that's taking place. Uh, Project Veritas, of course, came up with a video, um, Insiders at Google. And they literally, this, uh, this Google executive speaks in the video about their attempt to control the outcome of the next election. Talking about how they cannot allow another uh, situation like Trump to happen again. And so now, um, because that video exists, all of the tech giants apparently decided, well, we better stop this right now. And they are trying to erase Project Veritas off of the Internet. Uh, the genie's out of the bag, though. I don't think this is going to work for them. First and foremost, I think the president is going to get involved because now um, he's having a problem with Twitter where his uh, subscriber list seems to be diminishing. He's not getting the kinds of um, requests that he'd been getting historically. And uh, I'm not surprised. Cheryl Atkinson put out a poll last night, um, which I wanted to participate in. And when I clicked on the link, this was all on Twitter, I clicked on the link and it told me that, uh, you know, some of the content was uh, questionable and I would have to uh, sign off on seeing it. And then I tried to do that and I wasn't allowed to. So there's all this stuff going on, which is basically 100% aimed at conservatives online. And that is just outrageous. The Project Veritas um, account was removed by uh, Google, uh, removed from YouTube, and now... Yesterday, <coughs> oh boy, yesterday, um, Vimeo gave them 
a uh, uh, shot them down as well. And the reason, and I'm looking at the email that was sent to Project Veritas, the reason was you cannot upload videos that are hateful, defamatory, or discriminatory. And then it tells you to go to their uh, content. Now, um, you, maybe they were embarrassed. Maybe Google was embarrassed by that video, but there was nothing hateful or defamatory or discriminatory on Project Veritas's part. The hatefulness was what was expressed about Donald Trump and conservatives. And so now they're trying to erase Project Veritas and James O'Keefe from the Internet. They're trying to erase Cheryl Atkinson. They're trying to erase Ann Coulter. They're trying to release, uh, you know, erase people like you. And if we don't push back now, trust me, this is 1984 on steroids. 88. Welcome back. Boy, I'll tell you, the, uh, the 10 Democrats on the stage last night, and actually the 10 on the night uh, prior to that, made it perfectly clear that immigration is going to be up front and center in this presidential election. And I had some questions after reading an article by uh, Dan Cadman at the Center for Immigration Studies website. So we invited Dan on. And, of course, um, thank goodness he came right on. Thank you so much for being on, Dan. How are you? I'm great. Thank you for having me. Well, you know, I, I'm always grateful when I get somebody super smart like you to ask the same question that I asked on the air the other day and which nobody else seems to be asking. I wanted to understand why the uh, the Customs and Border Patrol commissioner resigned um, John Sanders, that is, when his boss was the one who was facing all kinds of allegations of leaking and uh, of not being on the same page as the president. What happened? You know, it's a it's a puzzle to me. I don't get it. I, <laughs> I, as I see it, McAleenan not only has uh, three strikes against him, but four. Um, he's the guy that was actually in charge of CDP as the holding facilities got worse and worse. But it's Sanders, who has only been acting in that capacity a short while that became the fall guy. Mm -hmm. Then, as you said, uh, McAleenan fought the president on the idea of picking up individuals who already have final orders of deportation. Um, and when the president decided on it, McAleenan apparently leaked that to the press, causing them to have to um, hold back and declare a postponement of it. And it, it, there's also... Uh, apparently credible source information that McAleenan was a contributor to the Clinton campaign. Ugh. I don't get it. Why is he there? Yeah. And, and why isn't he resigning? That's the real question. Um, I, 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 the only reason I can say is that he doesn't have um, the courage or the wherewithal to take responsibility as he should be. Yeah. And, and you know, I, I'm sure that you uh, at least watched some of the debates that took place for the last two nights. And last night, I mean, y you had 10 candidates all say that they would give health care to illegal immigrants. And I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, like, how out of touch is that with what most Americans believe? It is unbelievable to me. You know, uh, it's a little beyond my purview, but this whole idea of, uh, single-payer system, meaning Medicare and, and Medicaid, 
you know, think of the VA healthcare system writ large. That's what you're going to get. Now, add to that a population of illegal aliens of 11 or 12 million, plus the millions that will flood in when they find out they can get free health care. What money tree is this coming from? Yeah. Exactly. What What do you think of these, uh, you know, these plans that have been forward by, uh, put forward by the Senate, which is now going to appear on the floor of the House? Uh, I mean, obviously, something has to be done. Um, nobody in their right mind wants to see a continuation of overcrowded facilities and children who aren't able to get, you know, necessary supplies. Um, and yet, yeah, I look at these answers that they come up with in Congress and I realize that they do nothing about changing this magnet that we have in place, which encourages people to risk everything to come here. I think it's absolutely despicable. The government is at this point um, complicit in the smuggling of women and children, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Yes, they need to provide the appropriate health care and supplies. But as you say, without cutting down the magnet, without doing something to create disincentives so that more people don't come, it's, it's a, it's a no win game. Yeah. Um, you know, I all think, I think a week or so ago, you also talked about uh, Mayor Buttigieg's uh, bright new idea, uh, alien, illegal alien resident cards. We know now that they are giving driver's licenses in New York, um, to illegal aliens, and I just, you know, how, how are we going to have any integrity in the next election? <laughs> I, I, I don't, I don't understand how they have arrived at their positions, and yet when someone confronts them and says to these Democratic contenders, "Well, you're for open borders," they say, "Well, no, we're not." Well, yes, you are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and you know you've got uh, obviously uh, uh, they're just sort of they they have attached themselves to this humanitarian crisis. The same people who said there was it was a manufactured crisis that there was no crisis, and yet they they take these crazy positions. I mean, we had uh, the junior congresswoman from New York the other day uh, supporting a boycott of a company that apparently provides beds for the same children they're screaming and yelling don't have beds. I, I, I just don't understand how they come to these you know, conclusions and how the American media lets them get away with it. There, there is no rational explanation <laughs> that, I, that I can think of. And you know, the one Democrat that I'm aware of that has shown any kind of integrity on this matter interestingly, is Henry Cuellar of Texas, who did put forward a bill that while um, it did, um, uh, you know, establish some thresholds for the um, health and and welfare of individuals taken into custody, at least also provided some disincentives for crossing the border and for prompt removal of individuals once it's been determined that they're not entitled to asylum. So, Mm -hmm. There is at least one sane person in the Democratic Party. Unfortunately, he's not getting anywhere with his legislative initiative. Oh, yeah. No, they're rejecting that. I mean, I'm looking at uh, this, uh, this, this proposal by Mayor Pete about providing this uh, identification document. Like, what is the purpose of that? Nobody can explain to me, um, you know, how a national identification document does anything except provide cover. Well, that's exactly what it does. Um, he can 
talk all he wants about this is for the safety of, of the United States, but it's abundantly clear to me that this is a, a backdoor into providing aliens who are illegally in the country with identification that they can use to present, you know, <clears throat> not only to other federal agencies, but to state and local government to um, obtain even more benefits um, that they're not entitled to. And, you know, it's one more step along the lines of blurring the difference between legal and illegal immigration. Oh, yeah. Well, they were quite obvious as, uh, you know, the moderators who, who apparently have their own agenda. Last night, you know, said, do, should we decriminalize, uh, you know, border crossing by illegal aliens? And they were unanimous in support of that. I think there was only one person on the stage who didn't see that as a viable option and warned them that, you know, if the party continues to move in this direction, there's a whole swath of middle America that doesn't live in L.A. and doesn't live in New York and doesn't live in, in Chicago that listen to this and are outraged. It's their schools, it's their hospitals, it's their communities that are being overrun and besieged by people who, for no fault of their own, let's face it, this is our problem and we created it, um, you know, have to come here and we have to help them. Well, you know, the funny thing about that decriminalizing is that if you listen to sanctuary jurisdictions, what they say is we're not going to help federal immigration authorities because it's civil violations. But when you hear the Democrats, they even want to remove what little bit of um, criminal statutory authority there is where illegal immigration is concerned. And so you've got this um, tail chasing theme where the less criminal enforcement you have, the more um, they can justify creating sanctuaries throughout the United States. And, and, and that's absolutely absurd. It's insane. Yeah. Well, listen, you know, they they said, shall we make this a civil offense? And they all they all their hands went up with the exception, I think, of one. Um, and that's and that if you think about it, if it was, say, for instance, hundreds of Iranians crossing the border mm -hmm. or even thousands of people from the People's Republic of China, are they going to feel so good then about decriminalizing the border? Mm. Probably not. Right. Or even uh, what we saw, uh, you know, over 100 mm -hmm. Congolese, um, you know, refugees that came across the border a week or two ago. And, you know, from a part of the world where we know um, Ebola and other diseases are rampant and we don't have any means right now of even, uh, you know, quarantining or segregating people. You know, we have no place to put anyone from what I can tell. And and there's no assurance that those people who came from the Congo aren't themselves um, jihadists of a radical group or even simply just war criminals. Mm -hmm. um, and if it were discovered that they were, then having removed the criminal process to charge them leaves you, leaves you as a government agent with very little hammer over those kinds of people. Exactly. You know, I, I read an interesting article and I interviewed uh, Ann Coulter yesterday about um, the uh, unbelievable vetting process that took place when it came to positions in, in the DHS and in Border Patrol. And uh, they, some documents had been released where um, the RNC that was doing the vetting had literally referred to Chris Kobach, who I think would have been the most logical choice, um, you know, for DHS secretary. And they used terms to describe him that 
since he and I think exactly alike, I was offended by right-wing lunatic and crafted this uh, onerous bill in Arizona. I thought the bill in Arizona was actually uh, uh, pretty genius on on their part. I, I just I, I feel as though they are so disconnected from what the average American is thinking that it can't be good for this party. It, it, it cannot be good um, for either party, mm. and it, not only because the Democrats have gone so far left as to be beyond belief, but you still see some segments of the Republican Party where they seem, if not to actively support the Democrats, then unwilling to oppose them, and I don't understand that either. And the Senate bill that you mentioned is a good example of that. It may be... Um, better and slightly more measured than what the house came up with but <laughs> that's a relative statement exactly as uh, the president said last night when people asked him if he thought uh, kamala harris won he said yeah well it's uh, you know she was the tallest of the dwarfs you know and that is pretty much you know that's the pretty pretty much the way the democrats are dealing with the immigration issue dan thank you so much for coming on always appreciate your expertise Thank you so much. All right, and take care. Dan Cadman, you can read his articles at the cis.org website, and you should. We're going to take a break, and then I'm going to share with you a uh, newsletter that I got, which I think really um, sums up my position as well as anyone. Eat. Nobody pays more. Nobody treats you better than Treasure Hunt Jewelry, and I can say that. Because I had some, like, sterling silverware that I had inherited from my mom. And it was all kind of mismatched, but it was, you know, it was sterling silver. And I said, I wonder what this is worth. And I took it into a treasure hunt jewelry. I actually took it into the one here on Okeechobee Boulevard in Palm Beach. And much to my delight, it was worth a lot of money. And these were like spoons, little little cafe-style spoons that I was never going to use. They were cute, but I had no purpose for them. And uh, the $200 that I put in my pocket, I had a purpose for. And that may be true of you. You may have even diamonds that you no longer want. Maybe you have a diamond that's less than a carat and no other jeweler will even look at it. Treasure Hunt Jewelry buys all diamonds. They specialize in buying diamonds. They specialize in all precious metals, candlesticks, and broken jewelry, coins. In fact, if they were uh, coins before 1964, they're made of 90% silver. And they want to give you top dollar because they're worth more than face value. They also sell beautiful jewelry. So if you need to, to buy a special gift for someone you love, head over to Treasure Hunt Jewelry. With three locations here in South Florida, they've been in business for decades between Pennsylvania and here. And uh, they're just honest. They are experts. And they have locations in the Delray Place on Linton Boulevard and Federal Highway. In the Heritage Square in Pompano on Federal Highway just south of Copens Road. And in the Palm Beach Marketplace, 1900 Okeechobee Boulevard. For more information, just visit the website. It's treasurehuntjewelry.com. And please, let them know the choice sent you. FTL. So I got a newsletter from uh, Dr. Dobson with uh, Family Talk. It's a... Uh, a faith-based organization. They do a lot of great work. And he talked about, I would read you the whole thing, but it's lengthy, so I'm just going to get to the points that I think are relevant. He was invited by the White House to go down to the border, to go to Mackellan, Texas, where obviously the agents are struggling to deal with all these people. Poor, 
destitute human beings, right? They come in never-ending waves. And so Dr. Dobson wrote out a, 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 a newsletter. He said, please believe me when I tell you that the media and leftist politicians have not been truthful about what's going on there. It is a human tragedy. I promised the exhausted U.S. Customs and Border Patrol agents that I would go home and tell as many people as possible what I had seen up close and personal. Today, I am attempting to fulfill that commitment. Approximately 5,500 people show up every day in districts organized along our southern border. McAllen is the site of only one of them, but it is the busiest and most besieged. The refugees arrive exhausted and ragged from walking hundreds of miles. Among them are large numbers of children, many of whom are unaccompanied by a caring adult. Last year, 382,000 aliens were apprehended for illegally crossing into this country, and almost 100,000 of them were minors. Some of the kids have been abused along the way. Many of them carry lice, scabies, or other diseases. Uh, currently, the facility I visited is experiencing a flu epidemic, and there are no additional beds on which to lie. Some of the women have been raped. Now, you know, this is a religious leader, and he his heart was broken. He said, the most heart-wrenching experience occurred during our tour of the holding area. It is a huge gym-like building consisting of dozens of fenced-in areas. Each one is crowded with detainees standing or sitting shoulder to shoulder on benches. They stared out at us with plaintive eyes. I noticed that almost none of them were talking to each other. The children looked traumatized and frightened. Tears flooded my eyes as I stood before them. They had no toys or dolls except for a few items brought by compassionate Border Patrol agents. One tiny little girl clutched something that resembled a doll bought for her by an agent. There are few provisions made to accommodate the children. The week before we were there, a delegation of agents went to meet with members of Congress and begged them for additional money to buy pampers and toothbrushes and other necessities. They were turned down flat. These meager supplies have to be purchased with a Border Patrol budget, which is stretched to the limit. I walked up to a fenced area holding many skinny young men. An agent standing beside me asked if I wanted to speak to them. He offered to translate for me, to which I replied, please tell them that God loves them. Then I said, now tell them that I love them too. And they smiled and waved timidly. My heart aches for these people. Lest I be misunderstood, let me make clear that I am among the majority of Americas who want the border to be closed to those who attempt to enter illegally. There has to be a better solution than this. And uh, he goes on, and I got to tell you, um, what I saw last night tells me everything I need to know about the election in 2020. This is going to be elect an election about who matters, American people or people who want to come to this country. 